Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You may go ahead and be seated. In a moment, in a moment where I can't resist it, Mac. In a moment, we're going to have a Mac attack. But, uh, Mac's going to come up to the platform. Um, but before that, uh, one thing I, I forgot to tell you first half, uh, as you know, I, with my job, I've been having to do some trips to Puerto Rico, and I may have something in June here. I am leaving out tomorrow, likely be gone to the middle of May. Um, so I will miss you all. Um, I miss this place. God's been good to let me be here the last couple of weeks, and so I, I value your prayers. Um, and uh, have a great time this Wednesday. I urge you to be here this Wednesday. If you don't normally come out for Wednesday, come out. If you uh, are hitting Wednesday, you're like, eh, I, I don't know if I feel like it. Go ahead and come out. Be here Saturday. Join in prayer. It's going to be powerful. Your lives are going to be changed. Be here Sunday. And uh, I want you here every week, but I'm just urging you to join together in this time of revival. Um, now, before we go any further, though, I have the privilege to invite my son, Liam Kirkpatrick. Come on up here. God's given him a word. Before he takes the microphone, I'll pray with him, but God's given him a word, and and uh, he just wants to let, or share with you what God's laid on his heart. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to anoint Liam. Speak your words through him. God, speak to this church. Oh, God, change our hearts and our lives. They should have you've given it, Lord, so send it out in Jesus' name. Amen. Liam. Go ahead and share what God's given you. To begin, could you all flip your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, which says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Now let's pray. God, help me to seek your word and to let others be encouraged by this message to seek your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, you are probably all wondering why my message is called Trustful. Well, to start, what is a trust fall? A trust fall is a task where you are putting all your trust into a person or relying on them to catch you when you fall into their arms. Now, this can be good or bad, but it depends on the person who you're trusting in. And this relates to when you are trusting in God or leaning on to your own understanding. But it may be easier to have a bond with Jesus before you put your trust in him. Well, after we have our bond and trust, we have wise words. Proverbs 10.13 says... In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Now, this verse means that when you have a bond with Jesus and put your trust in him, you have wise words. But if you don't try, then you have consequences. After we have wise words, we have good favor. Proverbs thirteen fifteen says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. And this verse means that after you have good understanding, a bond with Jesus, and wise words, you have favor and feel good about yourself. So let's go through the steps again. Number one, you create a bond with Jesus. Number two, you put your trust in him. Number three, you speak wise words. And number four, you have favor and feel good about yourself. Now when you go home, think about this. It may be hard to trust your friends, but you know you can trust God because God is trustworthy. Amen. Awesome job. Awesome job, Liam. Yeah. Isn't anybody glad that you can trust in God, that he is faithful? Amen. Amen. Awesome. 
Liam, you did much better than I did the first time I preached, if I'm being honest with you. I had about four pages of notes, got done in about 20 seconds. Talked so fast, people thought I was talking in tongues the whole time. And uh, that was really good. Liam, good job. Awesome. Amen. Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord this Sunday? Amen. This, the atmosphere is so charged that all we need is a little spark, and this place would blow up. So I guess that's all I have to amount to this morning is a little spark, and I can probably live up to that. So at least I hope. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Acts, if you can stand for the reading of the word. I'm not going to keep you too long this morning, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 5. I give a special thanks to my bishop and the pastoral staff for this opportunity uh, to bring the word this morning. I'm, I'm very excited to bring it. I believe that the Lord wants to do something mighty in this uh, rest of this service. He's already done something mighty, to be honest. Um, I feel like there's something else he wants to do here for altar call um, this morning, and that we don't have to leave out of the sanctuary the same way we walked in. We can leave here different and changed and better. And I'm excited for that. Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 5. This is Peter. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descend, as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners. And it came even to me, upon the which when I had fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Otherwise, don't call unclean. What God has cleansed, don't call unclean. For a few moments this morning, I want to preach you off this title, and it'll make sense here in a minute. Repentance unto life. Repentance unto life. If you'll join me in prayer before we're seated. Lord, we thank you for what you've already done in this service, Lord. We enter into your gates with thanksgiving and praise, Lord. And we ask that your word, as it comes forth in this sermon, that it will plant seed in the good ground of our hearts. And it would bring forth fruit, Lord. We pray and give you all the glory for what you're going to do. We thank you for the lives that are going to be changed. We thank you for the repentance that is going to come out. And we thank you for your love that we are going to accept this morning. And we are going to leave here different. And we ask it all... For thy name's sake, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. In Acts chapter 11, we read Peter's account of a vision and experience that he had previously had. He was returning uh, from the said experience, uh, from staying with some Gentiles who was in a household by, with a man by the name of Cornelius. He was confronted by a few Jewish men on his way back into town who questioned him. They heard, I guess, of his staying and eating uh, and being with Gentiles, and at this time, that was kind of a no-no, and they had heard of it, and they questioned him. They confronted him. Hey, why were you with them? Why were, were you eating with Gentiles? Why were you spending time with them? And, and Peter had recently, he didn't just go spend time with them, but he actually preached to them, to Cornelius and these Gentiles, and they received the Holy Ghost and were baptized in the name of Jesus. So Peter tells these Jewish people of the dream that he had, the dream that we just read, um, and how it appeared unto him three times, not one time, but three times, and then the sheet went back up to heaven. As soon as he woke up, God had told Cornelius to send some men to go fetch Peter. They went and got Peter, and they brought Peter to Cornelius' household. So we can see the divine alignment of God in this story that God was sending Peter a message that whenever God told him what God has cleansed, let no man call unclean, 
that there is some deeper meaning to that than just meat. There is something deeper. And the meaning of God's statement of what God has cleansed, that call not thou uncommon, was revealed as he is with these Gentiles, and he began to preach, he realized that it was talking about men. What God has cleansed, as far as a man or a woman, when I mean men, uh, what God has cleansed, let no man call uncommon. It was referring to the Gentiles that God hath died for as well. He didn't just die for the Jews, but he died for Gentiles such as me and you. And he said, let no man call them unclean. Reading on in that same chapter of Acts, we read what happened as Peter began to preach, starting in Acts 11, verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the light gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus. What was, I love this statement right here by, by Peter. What was I that I could withstand God? Who am I that I can get in God's way of his will, what he wants to do in our lives and his perfect plan for us? Who are we to get in his way? When they heard these things, they held their peace, glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Repentance unto life. And I have good news this morning is that God granted us repentance unto life. This repentance unto life is not just a worldly repentance of just saying, you know, I'm sorry to someone in that regard. No, this repentance is produced by the author of life himself. This repentance brings to life those who are once dead in their trespasses and sin. And repentance unto life is that which gives life unto a dead spirit, as Charles Spurgeon says. And we have the opportunity to experience that repentance where we were once dead in sins. Now we can be alive with Christ. We can receive his spirit. We can repent of everything we've done wrong, and he will wash it all away and give us a new spirit and a new life. Amen. Amen. We are able to partake in that repentance unto life in Jesus. He does not only forgive, but he goes as far as to give us his spirit to dwell in us if we seek it. The words of God to Peter in his vision were, what God has cleansed, don't call uncommon and don't call unclean. And I like this because it made sense to the Gentiles, but I believe the principle applies today in a sense of what God has cleansed, don't call uncommon or clean. And if we have experienced repentance unto life, like the juice in our verse, we have been cleansed. We have been made clean. And the Bible well covers the fact that God is faithful to forgive us and give us that cleansing, give us that cleaning. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, I love this depiction of, of God's grace and his repentance. Isaiah 1, 18, come now, let us reason together. This is the Lord talking on the sinful Israelites, if they will turn, if they will repent and go back to him. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That where we were once, our sins were red, now they shall be white because he has made us clean. Psalms 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That is how good God's faithfulness to forgive is. God says he is faithful to forgive in 1 John 1.9. And he makes us clean and he grants us repentance unto life. It is an amazing and wonderful thing that we serve a God who is faithful at all times to grant us mercy and grace and to love us enough to bear the weight of our sins on a cross so that we may have forgiveness and be granted that sacred repentance unto life.
God, who is perfect, doesn't just stop there. He even goes on to say that he'll forget about our sins. Isaiah 43, 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Hebrews 8, 12, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God, who is perfect and without flaw, God, who's outside of the boundaries of time, says that he will no longer remember your minute sins. That doesn't just mean the big sins that you made. That doesn't just mean the sin that, hey, everybody knows about your mistake, dude. No, he's talking about the mistakes that you made, not a soul saw. Nobody knows except you. He's saying every single sin I will forget. Now, we know that God cannot just develop amnesia. We know that God can't just no longer remember sins in that sense. But what we know here is what God is saying is that every single sin that you have committed, he no longer holds it against you anymore. Once he has forgiven you, he no longer holds it against you and he is merciful towards you. And if we explain this in terms of that we may better understand today, it's like a court. And whereas we are, we are on trial and God is the judge and we are the guilty party and all of a sudden God just says, I've got nothing against you. There's nothing I can hold against you. You are free. There is, there is nothing that we can hold you here for. There is no bondage that we should hold you here for. You are free. That's how great our God is. That God's verdict is always one of mercy, grace, and second chances. Amen. Hallelujah. However, it is my firm belief that oftentimes we are the ones that never let go of our past. And we let the weight of our sins we don't let them be taken away. I believe that oftentimes if we continue in you know, the imagery of our court scene that the judge being God pardons us, says you are free, but we hold on to the shackles. And we hold on to the chains because we feel like we're unworthy and we are unworthy. But we just hold on to things that God has freed us from, that God has set us free from. And it is not God's will for us to stay in our past and to hold on to things he's already pardoned. When he forgives us and we are filled with his spirit, this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There are new things. But sometimes we get stuck on that old things part in that verse. Sometimes we don't let those old things go. I just want to clear up a misconception that there is an idea of letting go of those old things called self-forgiveness. And self-forgiveness is a term that is becoming more and more popular today. And to be completely transparent, I have used this term before in the past. You most likely have heard about it. And um, I want to just develop a deeper understanding of what that means here. And I'm going to sound crazy for just a few moments, but if you'll bear with me, I promise in about three minutes I'll sound sane again. When you look in the Bible, you'll only find two types of forgiveness mentioned. One being forgiveness between each other and one being forgiveness for God forgiving man. Both types of forgiveness are well-proven facts. If you read the word of God, you'll find many, many verses such as Ephesians 4:32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. There's the brotherly forgiveness, just as Christ forgave you. There's a second type of forgiveness. Those are the only two forgivenesses mentioned in scripture. I have yet to find a verse talking about self-forgiveness, forgiving oneself. So we must ask the question, can we forgive ourselves? And when we take that lace literally, the answer is no. I'm not crazy. Let me explain. Okay, because I know the world that we live in today is very big on self. It's very big on the individual and that we can be independent and that we are, in our own sense, you know, can take care of ourselves and that we don't need anything outside of ourselves. But the truth is we cannot forgive ourselves. 
If we could, then we would have no need for a more perfect sacrifice being Jesus. We do not have the power to forgive our own sins because we do not sin against ourselves. We sin against God. For he is perfect, he is holy, he has no fault. And when we fell, we do not fell ourselves, we fell the creator, the one who gave us new life. We fell him. As David said in Psalms 51, he says, against you, God, and you only have I sinned. So you may be asking yourself the question, does that mean that I'm hopeless and I have to hold on to my burden and my mistakes forever because I can't forgive myself? Is that what that means? Absolutely not. We cannot find freedom of the past of our sins and mistakes in ourselves. We find freedom in accepting God's forgiveness. Only true forgiveness of our sins can come from God when we truly repent of those sins. True repentance is the way to letting go of the past, of everything that we've held on to. It is not something we can do for ourselves. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, that God is not running out of grace anytime soon and he is rich in it, and that through his blood we have the forgiveness for sins, and it is through his blood that we have freedom, joy, and it is through his blood that we are granted that forgiveness unto life, and we don't have to live with our past mistakes any longer. It's not something that we can take care of. Our blood can't take care of it. It's only the blood of Jesus that can cover a past of sin. I want to tell you a quick personal story, and I'm only going to tell it because I think a lot of us can probably relate to this story. And it's, I was in a younger man than I already am, um, and I was in youth camp. Sometimes I forget I'm 22. I'm sorry. Um, I was at a youth camp a, a couple years ago, and I remember a few weeks before this youth camp, I made a mistake. I, I, I messed up. We all do it, unfortunately. And I was feeling very burdened and shameful and condemned for the mistake I made. And I remember it consumed my prayer life, that all I could pray about every time I prayed, it was, God, please forgive me. God, please forgive me. And it just consumed me, church. I couldn't let it go. It just ate at me over and over every single time. I couldn't even pray for others in church because I felt so self-condemned that it just hindered me in every area and aspect of my life whenever it came. And I was praying in a youth camp. I don't remember what the preacher was preaching. I don't remember, but we were at the altar call, and I remember exactly where I was in, in Louisiana District Youth Camp. The sound booth's right in the middle of the church, and I was right behind it. And I remember it was altar call. There was nobody on the platform. We were all just praying, and they were playing music. But the preacher just came out of nowhere and grabbed the mic, and he stopped everybody. And he looked out into the crowd, and he said, somebody needs to stop repenting. And I remember when he heard that, I was like, whoa, somebody's going to tackle him, right? Because I don't think that's biblical, what he just said. He's telling people to stop repenting. You know, um, and, and he said that, and he explained, he said, there's someone in here who's not letting go of something God's already forgiven. There's someone in here that has already repented, and you're not accepting the forgiveness he has already offered you, and you need to let it go. And that changed my life, because we must learn to let go of our mistakes and not let them consume us. I'm not telling you to deny your past or deny your mistakes, but I'm saying to let go of the burden and the shame and the condemnation that we put on ourselves because if it's already under the blood of Jesus, there is nothing that can stand against the blood of Jesus. Most people repent of things God has already forgiven them for. If they've already repented, true repentance, God has forgiven them for, yet we struggle to accept that forgiveness. And when we don't let go of that shame of sin under the blood, we're either doing one or two things. If we don't let go of that sin and that shame, if we don't let go of what's holding us back, one of two things is happening. 
Either we don't take God's word for what it is, because God's word is clear. God's word is clear that he washes it. I've already given you the verses here this morning that God washes away our sin if we have true repentance. So either we're not taking God's word for what it is, or we're saying that the blood he shed on the cross isn't strong enough to cover our past and our sin. Those are the two things that is happening if we're not holding on. I mean, if we keep holding on to things that God's already forgiven. But we mustn't, and we know that his word is true and without flaw. And we know that his blood covers all sin and that it is perfect and that it is strong enough to cover a past of things you did 20 years ago or two days ago. His blood is strong enough, but we must accept that and be known that we are made clean when we truly repent and not continue to dig at a scar Christ has already healed. I know this concept's hard to grasp because we are humans and we ultimately look for the negative. And it all goes back, though, at the end of the day, this all goes back to the love of God. That God loves us so much that we can't even comprehend how deep his love goes. And one of my favorite stories that's been on my heart recently is the story of the prophet Hosea. And it's a sobering story that relates to the love of God, and I believe it's relevant to this sermon today. So I'm going to tell you about it for just a brief moment. And musicians, you can actually make your way up here. I won't be too much longer. The story of the prophet Hosea starts with a prophet named Hosea who was a good man, a godly man. And he had to live a very painful experience for, to be an example of God's relationship with his people. Hosea is known as the prophet of love by many scholars because he fiercely loved others. And Hosea was given a calling to go marry a woman who was a harlot. Uh, so completely opposite of what Hosea was. The man of God, an oracle of God, called to marry someone who was on the entirely different spectrum than him in every capacity, yet God called him to go marry this woman who was a harlot, who was the opposite of faithful. And uh, needless to say, Gomer was bringing a lot of baggage into this relationship, into this marriage. And he probably would have benefited greatly from our Gottman group that we have uh, uh, every, uh, I think it's one Sunday a quarter or a month, and uh, they could have greatly benefited from that. But they didn't have that resource at the time. So Hosea obeyed God and married this woman whose name was Gomer. Gomer lived a happy life with Hosea, bringing forth three children with the prophet. All was well until one day Gomer decided to leave Hosea for another man and return back to her old life, leaving the prophet and her kids, her life, leaving it all to go back to the past life of who she was. This is the one sin in the Bible that permits a man to lawfully divorce his wife over. It's the one sin. So nobody, let's be honest, nobody would have blamed Hosea at this point for leaving Gomer. Many probably questioned why he got in the relationship in the first place. They said, this is your chance, leave her. You can do better. She's not a faithful woman. She has a lot of scars and a lot of baggage that she brings into your life, Hosea. You can leave her now. And this story is a depiction of God's love because we are that harlot. We are Gomer. We bring a lot of baggage into the relationship with Christ. However, God told the prophet, don't leave her. Instead, I want you to go back and get your wife and buy her back. And Hosea had to go back and he had to actually pay a man to get his own wife back. And he paid the price to bring his own wife home with him paid another man to bring his own wife home with him. And he loved her despite it. He loved her deeply, even though she made a mistake. He gave her another chance and he bought her back. We are Gomer and Jesus is Hosea. And Jesus died on a cross and paid our price 
our ransom that we can never pay. And he brought us back and he said, I'll take your baggage. I'll take your burden. I'll take your past because I have paid for it. And we are granted repentance unto life, a new life, church. It is truly the greatest love you will ever know is the love of Jesus. So in closing, you can stand with me. The original words of God that we read in our opening text says, what God has cleansed, let no man call unclean. I'm here to tell you this morning that if God has cleansed you, stop calling yourself unclean. Stop condemning yourself. Stop being your own biggest critic and try to see yourself for what God sees you as. John 3, 17 says, for God sent not his son of the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So stop looking in the mirror and seeing something that is dirty and broken and that has no value. But see that the blood of Jesus has covered your past and he paid the price for you while you were yet a sinner and he has washed away everything. So for altar call this morning, I want us to start off with just repentance. I want us to get that repentance on the life. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, this morning is an awesome opportunity for you to turn away from your past life and find a new life in Jesus. So we're gonna repent to start off. And then after we repent, I want us to spend some time and just thank God and worship God because he has cleansed us from a past. And we're gonna let go of some things in this service this morning that have been holding on to us. We're gonna let go of some burdens that have been with us for years and years and months and months. We're gonna let go of some mistakes that we made a long time ago. So if you'll find a place to pray right now, whether you wanna come to the front or stay where you're at, let's begin to lay some things down at the feet of Christ. Let's begin to turn away from who we used to be and know that Hosea, that Jesus is calling and he has paid the price so that we would have a new life. For he will love us despite our failures and our mistakes and he wants to take it all. So give everything to God right now. Surrender everything to Jesus this morning. Hallelujah.